outside of Dayton, Ohio, and uh, they had just finished church before I even came to church tonight, and uh, my wife was just saying how much they wish they could have been here, and uh, but they have been praying for the services and, and uh, look forward to meeting you all uh, in the future. Uh, but I tell you one thing, I like this pulpit. When you're vertically challenged like me, this means a lot. Um, I was in a church in Missouri last week, and uh, I, w- I really was not that much shorter than the pastor. He's only a couple inches taller than me. But honestly, I stood up, and I was, we were just passing through. He asked me to lead singing, and the pulpit, no joke, was this tall. And I felt like all the people could see was my head. And I, and I thought, that's the most terrible thing to look at. I mean, come on now. And, and uh, we, uh, we have uh, an RV. We live full-time in an RV, whether we're in meetings or whether we're not. And this is our third uh, RV. Our first RV, right when my wife and I got married, remember I told you she lived in a semi? I had a 21-foot pull behind and uh, so for her, she thought it was amazing, I mean, compared to living in a semi. And it didn't have any side slide-outs. You know what a slide-out is? It had a rear slide-out that you pulled by hand, and that was the bed. And it was wonderful. It, we, I had remodeled it before we got married, and uh, it really worked great. We had it for a few months, and then the uh, Lord led us to get something larger. And, but uh, this 21-foot pull-behind, uh, it was 21 feet from bumper to hitch, so it was about, you know, I don't know, 18 feet inside, and uh, the door that you enter was on the passenger side of the car, okay, if that makes sense, but the way that this pull behind was designed, it was designed so you could put your bike in, and so on the driver's side of the RV, there was a door that was about two and a half feet tall. So, I mean, we're talking like this. And the idea was originally there were bunk beds in this uh, little RV, and you would lift up the one bunk bed, and you would slide your bike in, and it would be storage as you're going down the road. Well, we remodeled the whole thing. Uh, I put a closet in front of that area. So, really, the door made no difference. Obviously, it's just a little door. Well, we were parked at a camp in West Virginia with this little itty-bitty trailer, and my wife kept hearing somebody knock on the door. And she kept going to the door, and nobody was there. And a lady came to her, uh, your, your missionary here, uh, Miss Lee Marshall. She came to her later on that day, and she said, Well, I came to your house, but you didn't answer the door. And my wife said, um, Did you knock on the door? She said, I knocked a bunch of times. My wife said, well, I looked out the door. There was nobody there. <laughs> then it, my wife realized she had been knocking on the two-and-a-half-foot door. <laughs> and my wife, she looked at me, and she said, I know we're short, but we're not that short. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. Uh, so my wife tells everyone that we are travel size, okay? <laughs> Instead of fun-sized candy bar, we're travel size, all right? And our little girls, they're fun-sized. Okay, so anyway, uh, it works, but, I mean, can you imagine two-and-a-half-foot door? Are the gnomes in there? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
all that to say, I really like the pulpit. I feel like I can preach from this pulpit effectively. <laughs> uh, I can see my notes and everything's right there. Trust you had a good afternoon. Y'all have been a special blessing to us, and uh, uh, it really has been an absolute joy to be here. Luke chapter number 24, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, if you'd stand with me as we read out of respect for the reading of the Word of God, Luke chapter number 24, and tonight, let's begin reading in verse number 13. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13, would you follow along with me as I read? Verse number 13, the Bible writes, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs, that's about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Skip down to verse number 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he said it meet with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them, and their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Verse number 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. Tonight I want to preach you on this subject. Do you have heartburn? Would you pray with me? My Father, I thank you for what you've taught us today from the Bible. I know you've spoken even to my own heart. Lord, I pray that you meet with us now. We need you. Lord, it's very evident that the people in this church are hungry to hear from you. Lord, I don't want to stand in the way of your working. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd meet with us tonight. You say if we'll seek you, we'll find you, and so, Lord, we're seeking tonight. I pray that you'd open our ears, our minds, our hearts to your word, and that as you work, we'd respond to your working. Father, I pray that you would touch my mind, that I may think right, my mouth, that I may speak right. But more specifically, would you touch my heart, that I may be right, that I may be an instrument of working for you. I thank you for who you are. I pray that you would bind the devil tonight. I pray that you would help us to see who you are and that we would choose to simply go all out for you. And I ask this the only way I know how, to the precious name and to the precious blood of my Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever had heartburn? The remedy for heartburn? Everybody has their own special remedies. It doesn't matter what church I go to. Someone wants to tell me the remedy that they have found works for them and they think should work for me. I, uh, I struggle with allergies. I was telling somebody earlier, I struggle with allergies year round because I'll be in a church and that is right when the pollen season is sweeping through that church or that community, that area of the country. And it hits me hard and at the end of the week, I'm just about to get over it 
And then we go to another church in another state, and the pollen is just hitting there. And I feel like I'm dealing with it all the time. I was in Illinois years ago, and boy, I was struggling. I was, I was having trouble preaching. It was that bad. I was congested. I could barely breathe. I mean, everything would just, uh, the pollen would just so bad. And the lady came up to me, and she said, have you ever heard of essential oils? Now, listen, I don't know if you do essential oils. I have no idea. But I have met all different people. I have met people that say essential oils will help you. Usually, you should try some. And then I've had people that are like, essential oils are like the, I mean, they're the healing, healing power. I mean, it's like the fountain of youth. (laughs) And, uh, hey, listen, I have found that a mixture of lemon and peppermint and lavender actually do help my allergies, all right? They do, you know, three drops, and but they taste awful. I mean, just awful, but they do work. But everybody wants to tell me their remedies. It's coming after church tonight. Oh, man, <laughs> I tell you what. So I have tried them, I have. But then you meet the people that don't just want to give you their remedy, they want to sell you their product. And you're in a church and you're thinking, how do I respond to this? I don't know. Or maybe uh, we've had times before where uh, like my back has gone out while I'm preaching. Boy, that's awful. And then everybody wants to tell you about the mustard plaster. And then you have somebody that comes up and they say, actually, you should use heat. Somebody else that says you should use ice cold packs. And everybody has their own remedy for the problem. What's the remedy for when you have heartburn? Well, some people say Pepsid. Some people say Tums solve everything. Now, listen, you can use whatever you want to, but I found at the age of seven or eight that Tums are the most amazing thing in the world. Seven or eight-year-old. We had gone over to somebody's house at church, and I don't remember what they had fixed. Sometimes you just don't ask. You just eat it. The scariest times for me as a preacher is when a church has a potluck or a covered dish, and I don't know who made what. And I don't know what I should stay away from. And then the pastor says, you go first. Here's my pat answer. Pastor, please, you're the pastor. I will follow you. And you say, you're just being kind. No, I'm watching what he steers clear of. It's a big (laughs) deal. They asked the evangelist one time to judge a pie-eating contest. And one of them I found. And another one I found out it was a strawberry rhubarb pie and the lady had forgotten to cook it. She had like 10 kids, and I had to judge it. So I'm always leery. I'm like, what do you do now? We had had something at the church. We got over to somebody's house, and man, I'm telling you, my stomach was just torn up. The heartburn was bad, and as a 7- or 8-year-old, you don't really know how to describe it. Mom takes me into Walmart. She goes down the aisle of all, you know, all the uh, medicines, and she reaches over, and she grabs the Tums. I don't know that I had ever seen Tums before. She opens the cap in the store as a seven or eight year old I'm thinking mom told me never to do that she pops it she gives me two of them and she says take these now mom did pay for it but as a seven or eight year old kid it it really throws you you think she's stealing she didn't steal all right she did pay for it but I'm telling you three aisles later the tums kicked in and I felt better I mean, it worked. And so since then, I'm like, okay, thumbs is the answer. You know, everybody has their remedy. 
everybody has something that works for them. And I understand when we think of heartburn, we think of it as a bad thing. So let's get a remedy. All right. Well, in this passage, it sounds like heartburn is a good thing. It's not talking about physically. It's talking about spiritual heartburn. When you're walking with Jesus and you have been warmed and you have been filled and you know what it means to walk with Him and you know what it means for Him to walk with you and the men at the end of the passage, they refer to it as past tense. Did not our hearts burn? And I think that's a sad verse. Because Jesus is gone and their hearts no longer burn for Him. Because Jesus has left them. They say when they're with Him, their hearts burn. And they look at it as something that was past tense. And I dare say the men would really rather have just stayed with Jesus once He left them. But the remedy for spiritual heartburn you find in this passage. We need hearts that burn for the Savior that desire Him so much, we're willing to do anything to follow Him, to obey Him. We're willing to give up anything so that He will walk with us. And most of the time today, we as Christians, we just as fast, maybe faster, give up Him because it's hard to follow someone you can't see. And it's so easy to follow everything else. No, we need to give up everything else. And follow Him. And maybe it's time that we start seeking for some spiritual heartburn. You know, there's some major humor, if you'll excuse me, in this passage. There are some things that Jesus says and Jesus will teach, and I just kind of shake my head and laugh at. Notice what happens at the beginning. And behold, two of them, verse number 13, went that same day to a village called Emmaus. Okay, let's stop for a minute. That same day, this... It's the same day Jesus has come back from the dead. Jesus has been dead for three days. The third day is here. This is the third morning. And Jesus has risen. By the way, we don't have a religion that serves a dead Savior. Our faith is based on a living Savior. Sure, maybe you can take someone to the tomb where we think Jesus would have been buried, but he's not there. He's alive. And so therefore, we don't have a religion. We can have a relationship. And that's far different. This is the third day. Jesus has died. Now he's risen. And he has been seen by several people already, including the ladies. You have uh, uh, Mary Magdalene. She was there. Jesus would call her by name. She would recognize him as her Lord, as her master. He has been seen by her, but it does not appear that he has been seen by many more. Yes, Peter and John would go to the tomb. He would not be there. They would meet the angel. You would find that the other ladies who had gone there earlier that morning... They had not seen Jesus, only the angel who said he is risen. So no one has seen Jesus per se at this point in time. And if you go down to verse number 14, okay, 
Jesus, he's risen. This is Sunday morning, the day he is risen from the grave, first day of the week. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So these two men, we read about one's name is Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other disciple. And it does not mean that these two disciples were one of the twelve. All right, this word disciple can simply mean someone who followed Jesus, who learned from Jesus. We don't read that Cleopas was one of the twelve. That doesn't mean he didn't follow Jesus. He was just not one of the immediate disciples, if we can put it that way, all right? So Cleopas, one of the other disciples, they're walking down the street, and it says they're talking about the things which have happened. So they're speaking of everything that has happened in Jerusalem in the past few days. They are speaking of the crucifixion. Maybe they're speaking of the arrest. Maybe they're speaking of just being confused on someone who they knew had betrayed Jesus by the name of Judas, all right? Maybe they're talking about that. Maybe they're talking about being fearful that uh, Jesus' body has been stolen. I don't know. Maybe they're talking about just wondering, what do we do now? Kind of like Peter earlier this morning that we read about. Whatever the case, they are taking a trip down the road to a city called Emmaus. There's a seven-mile stretch, and as they're walking and talking about these things, Jesus appears. Now, I don't know if they just assume Jesus come off another path and came up behind them quietly. I don't know if literally all of a sudden they just see him. I don't know how it all takes place, but now there were two, now there are three, and the three are walking and talking together, and they don't know that it's Jesus. That's unique in and of itself, and we won't stay there tonight, but it is a unique study. If you go further, and you find in verse number 17, and he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Now, that's just interesting. That's uh, borderline humorous. Because they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what's happened to him. And Jesus says, what you talking about? Why are you sad? Go further. It will say in verse number 18, and then one of them, and the one of them, whose name is Cleopas, answering and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not know the things which are come to pass there in these days? In other words, where have you been? All of Jerusalem knows what's happened. Evidently, this, um, the crucifixion, uh, I would dare say that the, uh, the darkness, uh, when God would turn his back on Jesus, I would dare say that when the tombs would have opened up and the God's people would have walked back into the city, uh, there's more of an uproar. It's not just some criminal died on the cross like normal. I mean, this is completely different. And the people are talking about this. And Cleopas and his other friend, as they're walking, they're talking about these things. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? And why are you sad? Cleopas looks at him and says, where have you been? What is wrong with you? Don't you know all the things that have happened? And then Jesus looks at him. This is even more humorous. Verse number 19. And he said unto them, what things? <laughs> it's almost like Jesus is saying, um, I've asked you a question, and you haven't answered me. 
what things have happened? Cleopas has already been asked, and Cleopas has now answered, you know, where have you been? Don't you know what's all happened in Jerusalem? All the things? What things? I almost think Cleopas is like, did this guy just arrive today? Has he not been here? Now, look at it from this point of view. Doesn't Jesus know everything that's happened? Okay, let's just say Jesus had not been there. Isn't he still God? So doesn't he know everything that's happened? He knows. He's God. I find it interesting at the end of verse number 17 that Jesus says this. Why are you sad? In other words, he's not saying, tell me the things that have happened. He's saying, what's wrong with you? If you and I want to have Bible heartburn, if we want to be warmed and filled by God, if we want to walk and talk with Him, and Him walk and talk with us, you're going to have to open your heart. Are these men sad? Yes. Did Jesus know why they're sad? Yes. Then why in the world did Jesus ask? I mean, I mean just logically. If Jesus knew, why would He ask? I mean, there are a lot of times in the Gospels, even Jesus with his disciples, he knows the answer and he still asks. And I think, why would you ask? Because he's looking for his people to open their hearts and tell them, tell their burdens to him. Does Jesus know your need? Yes, he does. But why should he meet your need if you don't depend on him to do it? Does Jesus know the burdens that you have? Yes. But He will not bear your burdens until you open your heart and ask Him to bear your burdens. Will Jesus answer your prayers? Yes. If you pray. Can Jesus meet your financial needs? Yes. So trust Him to do it. Don't just pull the credit card out. I'm not against credit cards. I'm not. If you have the money and you can pay it off, fine. But a lot of times we ask God to meet our needs and God doesn't show up in our time, so we just use the credit card. Do you see the issue? Depending on plastic instead of on Jesus. He's already promised to meet our needs. Well, you know, I have some really heavy burdens. And he is the burden bearer. And He can, but He's looking for us to open our hearts. Here are the things I'm dealing with, Lord. I need you to step in. How, why would He step in if we're not looking for Him to actually step in? Why would He answer prayer if we're not calling to Him? You keep going in this passage. He will say, in the, this is Cleopas speaking, verse number 19. And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. So now they're telling him about him. <laughs> they're telling Jesus about Jesus. 
There was Jesus of Nazareth. He's mighty in word. He's mighty indeed. Keep going. It says in verse number 20, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Can you hear the agony in their voice? The Jesus who they followed, the Jesus who they have been his disciples, the Jesus who they have trusted in, he is dead. Their dreams are shattered. And Jesus says, tell me about your shattered dreams. He goes further. Cleopas in verse number 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Now there's an issue. He's missed what Jesus came to do. In this verse, Cleopas simply tells the Lord, we were looking for him to do what we wanted him to do. We wanted him to deliver us from Rome. Rome is our oppressor. And we wanted Jesus to do this, and Jesus is dead and hasn't done it. That sounds a lot like us. We wanted Jesus to do what we wanted Jesus to do. Instead of just simply, I need you to work, you show up however you need to. I don't want you to cater to my thoughts and my ways. I want you to help me just submit to your thoughts and your ways. Sounds like we read that in Isaiah this morning. But Cleopas says, listen, our dreams are shattered. Our dreams are gone. The ones who we've loved, they're, they're dealing with sickness. The ones who, and, and, and Jesus says, Share your burdens, and Cleopas does. And if you and I want to walk and talk with him and him walk and talk with us, we're going to have to open our heart. A lot of times we think, ah, man, we can handle it. No, we can't. I can get through this. No, you can't. We need him. We need him just as much now as we needed him for heaven. He did not save us and say, see ya when you get there. No. He said, I saved you. Now walk with me and I'll walk with you. He says, open your heart. And they do. It's interesting. Keep going. Notice what happens in verse number 22. This is still clear speaking. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. I don't know if you can hear it here, but it really sounds like there's some sarcasm here. It doesn't sound like Cleopas is saying, yeah, we're sad too because the women said they couldn't find his body. It doesn't sound like that's what's going on. It sounds like Cleopas looks at the Lord and says, yeah, and you know those women... You know, they can be emotional. And these three women, they're probably emotional because Jesus has died. And they went early to the sepulcher, long before we ever did. And they came back and, I mean, kind of blew our minds, made us astonished, that Jesus wasn't there, but they had seen an angel. It's kind of like Cleopas is saying, to make matters worse, the women who followed him, they can't even figure this out, and now we're really confused. That's kind of what they're saying. 
And then it continues, and if you go down to verse number 24, and certain of them which were with us, so it sounds like Cleopas and this disciple were in the upper room when the women would come and meet them and tell them that night they just saw an angel, not Jesus. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. In other words, they say, yeah, there was Peter and John, and they ran to the sepulcher too, and they couldn't find him either. He was gone. In other words, here's everything that we've been dealing with. We don't understand it. Our dreams are shattered. The people who we call our friends, they're confused too. We don't know what to do. Jesus says, open your heart if you want to walk with me. Number two, he wants us to tune our heart. Notice what happens in verse number 24. Excuse me, verse number 25. And he said unto them, O fools, ouch, I mean, what a terrible time to call them fools. They are hurting. The person who they loved, who they were looking to to do something for them, he is gone. And Jesus looks at him and says, you fools. Ouch. I mean, rub salt in the wound. I mean, go ahead, make it more miserable, Lord. That he's not calling them fools. Notice what he says. Old fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. You are fools not to just look at the Bible. That's what he's saying. You say, how, did, how would that help them? They had the Old Testament. They had every prophecy. The prophecy that he would die and rise again. The prophecy that he was not to deliver them from Rome, but to give them a complete sacrifice so they wouldn't have to keep sacrificing lambs. He was the answer. And he's not saying, you are fools to be sad. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, open your heart, tell me you're sad. Now I'm going to tell you, why didn't you follow my word? That's what he's saying. I told you everything that you needed to be successful. I gave you everything you needed to know what would happen after I died. I gave you everything. Now tune your heart to my truth. In other words, here's what I say. Here's where you are. Adjust to me. That's his point. You know, a piano is a beautiful instrument, but if it's out of tune, it can sound horrible. There are a lot of Christians who are out of tune with what the Bible says. And if you are out of tune with what the Bible says, you cannot walk with Jesus, and he will not walk with you. And he says here, slow of heart to believe, ought not Christ, verse number 26, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then, notice what the Lord does. And beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, even Jesus went back to the Bible. 
Even Jesus says, you're sad, tell me. Open your heart. But now you are not right with what the Bible says, so let's go back to the Bible. You don't need to go to the Bible bookstore to find the answer. You don't need to go to Amazon Kindle. You don't need to go to the radio or the TV. You need to go to the Bible. And not try to get the Bible to fit you, but you fit the Bible. You could take any verse you want to out of context. You want to find God's will for your life? Sure, let's see. Oh, Judas went out and hung himself. Ugh. Don't like that. Let me try to find something else. Go and do thou likewise. <laughs> now what? Don't take the Bible to fit you. Fit you to the Bible. Jesus says, tune your heart. I was preaching in Illinois a couple years ago. And the pastor came up to me and he said, Brother Glenn, you won't believe what I'm dealing with. And I said, what are you dealing with? He said, Brother Glenn, I had a deacon miss a Sunday service. That doesn't sound too unusual to me. And so I said, was he sick? I was trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. And the pastor said, nope. I said, well, tell me, where was he? He said, Brother Glenn, would you believe that on Monday morning, his wife put pictures of him and her on Facebook, and they had gone to a country music concert on Sunday? He said, what makes matters worse is over three-quarters of my congregation liked it on Facebook. I'm not here to talk about music, but it's very interesting what satisfies God's people. And it's also very interesting that a lot of times we like to evaluate what we think is truth by how many people agree with us. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you on any subject. It never changes truth. It doesn't. Well, so-and-so said I, stop, go back to the Bible. Jesus says, you fools, I told you. What would happen? I told you in the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses, and the prophets. Boy, that's a long seven miles. And they didn't fall asleep. <laughs> I don't think they were looking at their watch until a few verses later. By the way, you know America is the only country where when you listen to Bible preaching, Americans look at their watch. At least the only country I've been in, and I've traveled all over the world. When I was preaching in Siberia, Russia, I'm preaching, I finish a message. I'm preaching through an interpreter. I can't speak Russian. And so me preaching my 25, 30-minute message, plus an interrupter, all right, we're talking about an hour long. I finish, I sit down. It's really exhausting preaching through an interrupter, all right. I sit down, I'm done. And I hear this voice from the back of the auditorium in Russian, and it's related to me later. Preacher, are you really done? Can't you preach another one? I got up, and I stood up, and I said, well, you sing a song, I'll preach another one. They sang, I got back up, we did the same thing. I preached another message. I finished, and I sat down. And I hear another voice. Preacher, can you preach one more? I preached three, was asked to preach four, and I said, physically, I 
cannot. You know, I've never been asked in America to preach another message. But I know an awful lot of preachers who their congregation gets mad when they go past lunch. Jesus is speaking a long time. And I think now they're done. They've opened their hearts. They've tuned their hearts. And in the next few verses are maybe some of the saddest in the Bible. Because you read in this passage in verse number 28, And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. Here's the picture that I get, the idea. Okay, this is my imagination. I don't know how it really worked. This is my imagination. My imagination has one man here, one man here, Jesus in the middle. My imagination. They're walking down the road to Emmaus. They've been walking, I would just guess, maybe six miles. It doesn't seem like they're at Emmaus. Maybe they are, but uh, whatever the case, they have been walking a long time. Jesus, as I said, open your heart. He said, now tune your heart to what I say in the Bible. You would just you, not you try to fit the Bible to you. And now they're kind of done. Okay, benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just tired of walking. Maybe they're tired of listening. Maybe they just want to relax for a while. And Jesus, he's still walking. My imagination says he's still talking. And maybe he's walking and just talking to them. And he turns and they're not there. And maybe he turns around and you find both of them here. And maybe they're looking down the other, uh, uh, other alleyway and maybe they say, you know what? There's a bed and breakfast over here. Looks like an Airbnb on our app. And uh, if we stop in here, they have good reviews. Let's rest a little while. Jesus wanted to go farther. And they say, no. Maybe their idea is we can go sit and rest and talk. But that was not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was to keep going. I wonder, here's my, my question, how far could they have walked with Jesus? By the way, Jesus never leads you or me. We leave him. And maybe we get bored or maybe we get comfortable or maybe we get tired and we just stop. Or we sit back and we relax and the Lord says, I'll go as far with you as you want to go with me. However close you are to Jesus is dependent upon how far you'll walk with him. And these men, they want to stop. And get this, Jesus never forces his people to walk with him. But he does promise blessing when you walk with him. He does promise to warm your heart, to comfort your heart. He does promise to give you a life worth living. And they stop and they want something comfortable. Lord, we can't. We're going to go in here. Would you come with us? And they go down, and it says in verse number 30, And it came to pass, as he said it meet with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. 
I wonder if they've seen Jesus break bread before. I don't know. I mean, he did it a lot in the scripture. Uh, you have the upper room. Uh, you also have the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. If these men were disciples, they've seen Jesus break bread before. So I don't know if he breaks bread and as he's blessing it, if they realize who he is or if they see him break the bread and they realize, I have no idea. But the point is, now they know who he is. And he's gone. I wonder if the Lord showed them who he was so that they would realize what they were missing. He's gone. And a few days later, he goes back to heaven. I wonder how many years down the road when they sit with their grandchildren, I wonder if they tell their grandkids the regrets that they have for not walking with Jesus. Oh, let me tell you, walking with Jesus was the most amazing day we've ever had. Our hearts were warmed. Our hearts burned within us. And he would have gone further. But we wanted to be comfortable. We wanted him to fit with us instead of us fitting with him. He would have kept going if we would have just gone with him. They say in verse number 32, Did not our heart burn within us? Past tense. While he talked with us by the way. While he opened to us the scriptures. Jesus is looking for us to open our hearts. And tell him all, not hide it from him. He's looking for us to tune our hearts to him. And then he's looking for us to simply give him our hearts. Give him what he already owns. Just say, you know what? You can have it. I'll go with you to the end of the way, no matter the circumstances of life. I won't question what you do. I won't question who you are. I will just follow you because you're God. That's it. It is so easy in this world to get distracted. Distracted is not the sin. Sin is following the distraction instead of him. He would have gone further, but they didn't want to. How far will you go with Jesus? What is distracting you? What's taking your focus off of Bible truth? Where is your heart tuned to? What other people say, what you're reading, politics, current events. What's your heart turned to? The Word of God? Where are you? Is your heart closed and, oh, I don't want you to know. He already knows. He just wants us to say, I need you to take care of it. We work at West Branch, the camp in the summer, and uh, we have a mule. You know what a mule is? It's kind of an old-fashioned ranger, all right? Uh, uh, old-fashioned ATV type idea. I am told it's over 30 years old. I don't know exactly. It does work. Uh, when you, It's made for one person, me, to ride on it, and then the back is kind of like a truck bed. And I throw all my tools in it because when I'm not preaching, I'm fixing stuff at the camp. Usually a toilet or a faucet or electric or something. Everything breaks when everybody comes. It's terrible. And uh, so that's usually where I throw my tools. Well, in the past, uh, I've just held 
my uh, last year, my two-year-old, I'm holding her, and my wife sits next to me, and we go down to the camp. Well, now we have two. So I'm trying to figure out how to get down to the main part of camp throughout the summer. So I ordered some seat belts on Amazon. You know, Amazon Prime, uh, supposed to be there in two days, except for at the camp, and it takes about a week, all right? And uh, I bolted them in the back, and uh, so now both of my girls can ride in the back safely. It, it works great. But before that, I'm trying to figure out how to get both girls down to the camp. I have, a, uh, at that time, a, a five-month-old. Well, I just figured I'd MacGyver it. I don't know. Do people today even know what MacGyver is? Okay, so I got a ratchet strap out of the truck, and I put JJ's car seat turned backwards in the back of the mule, and I ratchet strapped it down. I know we didn't show grandparents until it was all done, but it worked, okay? And the idea was you strap the baby in, my wife gets in, I get in, I start the mule, and then I reach over and I grab my three-year-old and I put her on my lap. It wouldn't work any other way because once I'm holding her, there's not enough room to start the mule. I knew the sequence of events. Audrey didn't. And so I strapped JJ in in the back by the ratchet strap. My wife gets in. I get in. I start the mule, and my three-year-old looks up at me, and she says, wait, what about me? And as tears began to well in her eyes, I realized, when was the last time we looked at God and said, God, what about me? Don't go without me. I'll go anywhere with you. Don't leave me dry when I'm reading your word. Don't leave me with answered prayer. I need you. Tune my heart after thee. Let me give you my heart and you take it wherever you want. I open my heart to you, but don't go without me. You will only go as far for God as you choose to walk with Him. And you cannot walk with Him until you're right with Him. And if you want Bible heartburn, you must open your heart, tune your heart, and give Him your heart. If you were on the road to Emmaus, what part of the road would you be on? Would you be in the inn? Would you be at the crossroads trying to decide? Would he be walking ahead or would you be running after him? Wait, I'll go with you. Most of us are either at the crossroads or already in the end. How far will you go with the Jesus who wants to walk with you?